Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hill Spring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Uh, anyone in this room feel like you might have a bad memory, okay? Anyone in this room feel like, like, like your memory is not what it used to be at some point? Just raise your hand, just be honest. You're, you're in church, you can be honest for a second, okay, yeah. Yeah, well, like we feel like maybe we have bad memories or we, like, we, like it used to be better, like all the wives in the room, if you're thinking about your husband right now, you know that you think that they have a bad memory. I, I know in my own life that I've had, uh, my memory has just not been as good and I don't know what it is, but uh, maybe it's because, um, I get nagged on a lot. I'm not sure if that's what it is, but um, I feel like it could be. And so I have, uh, I feel like a bad memory. And as I was reading about memory and reading about what that looks like, I came across, some of you guys might've heard about this, a thing called the Mandela effect. Anyone ever heard of the Mandela effect in the room? Okay. So the idea of the Mandela effect is this, this idea that we all have a common belief in one thing that happened, even though it wasn't accurate or it's not true. And really comes from Nelson Mandela and the fact that when he died, a lot of people believe that he died in the 80s in prison, but realistically he died in 2013. And so that's like a Mandela effect, that we all have this common belief, but it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily true. And so I'm going to help you guys out real fast with a couple Mandela effects. So Aaron, if you would, let's put the first one up here on the screen. Okay, so this is uh, the logos of Fruit of the Loom, okay? Now, one of these is not real. Which one is real? Which one is fake? If you think the top one is real, raise your hand, okay? If you think the bottom one's real, raise your hand. Aaron, let's give me the answer, please. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the bottom one, okay? It's the Mandela effect because a lot of people believe that that cornucopia thing was in that this whole time. It never was a part of it. Aaron, let's go to the next one. I love peanut butter, all right? But you guys might know this. It's actually not Jiffy. It's actually Aaron. It's Jiff, all right? Yeah, so some of you guys, so that, that might be that for you. Can, is there another one on there, Aaron, that we can talk about? So Snow White, all right? How many of you guys are like Disney freaks? Like you're all about Disney. Yeah, yeah, that's a weird thing to cheer for. Um, and so... A lot of people, when you look at this movie, uh, a lot of things that we think about, one of the most famous lines of this movie uh, that we all talk about is it says, mirror, mirror on the wall, right? We know that line. But technically speaking, the actual line there is magic mirror on the wall. That's not really, yeah, that's, that, we all believe that, right? Now, as you guys filter away on your phone and Google all this stuff while I'm preaching, you, you can figure out that I'm not lying to you. Let's go to the next one, Aaron. Uh, this is a spoiler alert. Darth Vader is Luke's father, okay? Now, we all have this idea that Darth Vader said, Luke, I am your father, but realistically, he didn't say that. He said, no, I'm your father, all right? So the, these, are, these are lines that we believe are true, but they weren't true. Let's go, I think we have, okay, so not Yellowstone, right? This is not, this is not what this, this is, okay? You just picked out all the sinners in the room right there. That's what I like to know. <laughs> This field of dreams, right? And so uh, the theme or the, the line in this is that I, he says, you know, if you build it, they will come, right? That's the, that's the line. But technically speaking, the real line is if you build it, he will come. So we've been, we have this idea, but that really wasn't the, the line. That's a Mandela effect, that we have this common idea of one thing, but it's really not necessarily true. Now, 
I, I love a good nativity set, right? I, I love a good nativity set. I, I have one in my house. I, I remember my grandma, she used to have a nativity set. It was, I, I love it, okay? And, and, but I think in some way as a church, in some way maybe as Christians, we have uh, kind of got into a Mandela effect when it comes to the nativity, all right? And, and for a lot of us, our, our picture of the nativity scene, and by the way, no judgment here, but our picture of the nativity scene is probably more um, informed by really weird Christmas cards and like cartoons and stuff like that and, and, and kids plays. And so we, we see the nativity like this and we see, well, there, there, first off, there's a white woman in the desert in the Middle East and I don't know how she got there, right? And then, 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 then we have just some angels and a dove, and then you have, you have uh, the guy who looks like a king, you have shepherd, you, you have all of these different things, and this is the general idea of what a nativity would look like. And there's some truth to some of this, but there's not a lot of truth to all of it either. And so some of this, again, comes from the way we've been born, but so I wanna just talk about a little bit of these Mandela effects that we see when it comes to the nativity. First off, when we think about Jesus' birth, we, we always hear the story that Jesus, they went, that Mary and Joseph, they went into Bethlehem and there was no room at the hotel for him and so they had to go into a barn and have, and have Jesus. It's really, though, maybe not necessarily the story because if you look at the word in, in the book of Luke, that word is actually, it's really kind of giving us this idea of a private bedroom, that, that realistically Mary and Joseph were probably going to a friend's house that they knew in Bethlehem, and when they got there, the room was already full. That, that's probably what that, what that was looking, looking like. Maybe, maybe another thing that we think about is the manger. When you think of a manger, you think of just this wooden thing with a bunch of hay inside of it, but that's really not what a manger in, in the first century would look like. Aaron, if you would, we're going to put up what a real manger looks like. It's more kind of limestone-ish, like a, like a feeding trough, all right? And Jesus wasn't necessarily born in a barn. He was probably born in, in kind of a cave type of a thing. And so we have these common beliefs about what the nativity is. And by the way, it doesn't, I'm not telling you to go and smash your nativity when you get home. Don't, you don't have to do that, right? I'm not saying that's wrong, but I just want to give you a better perspective of how the Bible talks about it. And one of the things that I think we really do get wrong is the story of the Magi, the story of the wise men, and, and really what they mean to this story. If you think about the story of the wise men, it's really only shown in one gospel in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, by the way, if you're a Bible person, the book of Matthew is a book about fulfillment. If you, there's themes in all of the books of the Bible, but Matthew's all about Jewish fulfillment. Matthew's always gonna look into the Old Testament and show us how the Old Testament teaches us about Jesus. I don't know if you know this, or not, but Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all of those books in the Old Testament, all of those point to who Jesus is. The whole Old Testament is a picture of where Jesus is and who he would be. That's what the Old Testament's about. And that's what we should think about when we think of the Old Testament. And so today, we're gonna talk about the wise men. We're gonna talk about what it means to the story today. Is everyone good? All right, here we go. Matthew chapter two. We're just gonna jump into this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and he asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem was with him. When he had called together all the people's, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet, this is what the Old Testament has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you're by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse seven. 
Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out where uh, the exact time the star had appeared. Verse 8. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report him to me so that I may too go and worship him. Verse nine, after they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him. Fun fact, the wise men are the first people to worship Jesus. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is 12 big verses about the wise men. And as I was reading it and studying and thinking about this, there's a lot here. But every time I've read this story, I never really thought there was much to it. But as you read in, man, there's a big part of the gospel right in the middle of their story. The story of the wise men is really the story of you and I. It's a story of outsiders. It's a story of those who were on the outside, but were invited in. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about outsiders. Number one, outsiders from within. This is Herod the Great. I'm going to talk to you real fast about Herod the Great. When you when you think of antiquity, when you think of the Roman Empire, when you think of the old, like when you think of all of those things, you can think about Jesus, you can think about Paul, you can think about Julius Caesar, you can think about Alexander the Great, you can think about any of those people from antiquity, but Herod the Great is the only person that we have the most evidence that lived and we have the most evidence about his rule in that time period. There's more scrolls written about Herod the Great. There's more uh, writings about Herod the Great. He is everywhere. And here's the deal about Herod. You guys have heard the story. We've said it in Christmas plays, but Herod was an evil, evil man. He was an ego-driven sociopath. He was a disgusting, vile human being. Herod the Great believed that he was a God. Herod the Great would build palaces all over Judea, all over the Roman Empire for the, the express idea that if he wanted to be in one place, he could be there and the next day be in the next place. He was a brutal dictator. He was an evil man. Uh, history tells us that Herod was so ego-driven and so about his own kingdom and his own throne that he killed so many of his family members because he had the thought that they might try to take over his throne. He had 10 wives, and when he got tired of his wives, he would just start killing them. On his deathbed, he ordered all of his sons to be killed. This was an ego-driven, crazy, crazy person. Herod the Great was an evil man, and his ego would play into the story of Christmas. His ego would play into the story of Jesus, because as he's ruling over these people, and as he's the king of Judea, he hears rumblings of a new king that's born. He hears rumblings of a new king that was going to be the ruler of all the land, and he does not like that. The Bible tells us that he goes and gets the Jewish leaders and says, tell me about where this king is supposed to come from. And they go through the scriptures and they tell him where he's going to come from. And Herod goes, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. Bring me the Magi. He brings the Magi in. He says, tell me where you saw that star, because where that star is is where the king is. And where that king is, I need to go find him. I want to go talk to him. But we know he doesn't want to talk to him, right? He's going to see him because he's a threat to his kingdom and he was going to kill him. This is Herod's story. And if, if that doesn't convince you enough about Herod, Herod, whenever the wise men, whenever they got a dream from Jesus or from, from heaven and they said, well, we're not going to go back and tell Herod where Jesus is at. You guys know what happens there? He starts a slaughter of two-year-old male babies in that region. You want to think about a horrible, vicious human being. This is Herod. 
By the way, Pastor Brent touched on this just a little bit. When we talk about the wise men, most theologians would believe that they were never at the nativity scene at all. The reason being because Herod said, I don't want any threat to my kingdom, so kill every male that's two years old or younger. And so they're thinking that would be at the time they would meet Jesus, he's two years old or younger. And so anyways, he, he, he slaughtered all of these people. And actually, a fun fact, we talked about Simeon last week. Simeon, a lot of theologians believe that Simeon died trying to defend some of these babies, trying to defend some of these little kids that were being slaughtered by Rome. It's an evil, evil dictator, an evil, evil person. He was an outsider that did not care anything about God or what he was going to do. Here's the second point. You guys still with me? Okay, number two, outsiders from without. All right, so I wanna talk about the Magi. I wanna talk about the wise men. And I wanna talk about a little bit of the Mandela effects that we have really in this story about the wise men. First off, they probably weren't really kings. The Bible doesn't tell us that they were kings. They probably weren't kings at all. There's really no historical evidence to say that they were kings. People might kind of believe they were because they brought gifts to Jesus, one of them being gold, but that's, that might be what they were. No one really knows if they, if they were really kings. There's really no evidence that they were from the Orient at all, even though a song says that. They just said that it's from the East. And just because they brought three gifts, it doesn't mean that there were only three wise men. Really, historically speaking, the Magi would travel in groups of 40 and 50 people at a time. They were almost a small army when they were going places. And so at the scene of meeting Jesus, there's probably 50 or so of them there in that, in that moment. And a lot is really debated about this group of people, but we're just gonna talk about really historically what they're supposed to be. Magi, by the way, it means this word, it means magician or magic, okay? These are people who, who dealt with interpreting dreams, they dealt with the occult, with witchcraft, all of these different things. These were very, very pagan people. These were people that you and I, we would not talk to. These were people that were on the outside. These were very, very learned men. They read scripture, they read the Bible, they read all types of religious documents all over the world. They were very, very smart people but they were pagan people. They had no regard for who God himself was. They were also, by the way, astrologers. And why would that play a point into this story? Because there's a star in the sky. And so one day they sit there and they see the star up in the sky and they say, there, there's something there. Did they remember what the scripture said? Did that hearken back into their heart to go into Maybe there's something we need to follow here. Again, they're very, very pagan people. But the point of the Magi story, by the way, I hope you hear this. I hope you hear the heart of this. The point of the Magi story is there are people who are far from God, who are distant from God. There are people that you and I would not associate with. There are people that you and I would not like. I want you to put that filter on. Whoever that person is in your life that you don't wanna associate with, whoever that person is in your life that you don't care about, that person that though you would say, well, I, I don't want my kids hanging out with that person, these were the magi and yet Jesus invited them in is that not a story for who we are as a church that those doors out there are open to anybody who wants to come through them and we can amen that all day long but what happens when they come in and they're not the people that you like what happens when they come in and they walk around in this sanctuary and they steal things are you still going to be those people that say hey the outsiders are welcome in that's what a church is supposed to be about, right? Let's be those people. The outsiders from within, they, they were pulled in. Jesus invited them in into the fold. 
And the story keeps going. Matthew includes this story, the Magi, to really just prove the point that Jesus was the king. And we have, by the way, just a bunch of ancient texts about the Magi. The Magi did this a lot. They would go when a new king was installed. They went to, to Nero. When Nero was installed as the emperor of Rome, they went up there and gave him a bunch of gifts. They did this to Herod the Great. When he was installed, they gave him a bunch of gifts. This is what the Magi did. They would go from place to place and place to place just to, help and, uh, just to give gifts to the new kings. And again, they were astrologers, so they, they followed a star. And the verse says like this, we see his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Okay, so nowadays, real fast, we have like SpaceX and, and, and we have people who have landed on the moon. Some of you don't believe that, that's weird, that's okay. Um, but, but we have people, we, we have seen the heavens. Like we have telescopes that can see galaxies. In the times of antiquity, anything in the sky at night, they would just call it a star. And so what was the star that they followed? Very well may have been a star. A lot of people believe that there was this convergence of planets between Jupiter and Saturn. A couple years ago, there was a thing called the Bethlehem Star, if you guys remember that. It might have been that. A lot of people believe it was a comet that was in the sky. My belief, just, and it doesn't matter, but my belief is that it was an angel, that God guided his people, Israel, out of, of, out of slavery through an angel, through his presence. That's, that's what I believe it is, but it could have been a star. It could have been a comet. We, we don't know. There's a lot of different things of what it could be. But here's what's interesting to me about this story. The Magi came from the east. A lot of theologians believe that the Magi were out of Persia. Now, I'm gonna give you guys all PTSD real fast here. But if you think about what happened in Persia, Persia was part of the Babylonian Empire, right? By the way, the Babylonian Empire was also called the Kingdom of Gold. This was one of the things the Magi brought. We're gonna have to go back to Daniel real fast. And I know we were in Daniel for like five years last month. I get that, I understand that. But I, I wanna show you something that I think is really, really interesting. In Daniel chapter, Daniel chapter five, it says, there, this is a person talking about Daniel. And it says, there's a man in your kingdom who has a spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers, and the diviners. 600 years prior to the birth of Jesus, Daniel, an Israelite, God's chosen people, he was drugged from his homeland and taken into Babylon, into the Persian Empire, into that area. That's about 700 miles into captivity. When they drug them away, they destroyed their temples. They took all of their gold. They took all of their things with them. And the Bible tells us right here in Daniel chapter five that Nebuchadnezzar put Daniel above all the magicians, the enchanters, and the astrologers. Daniel preached the gospel. Daniel preached about the Bible. Daniel taught the scriptures to them. Daniel showed them things. And here's my belief. And this is, this is backed up by a lot of other people as well. I believe that these magi are direct descendants of those people who were taught by Daniel that they heard the scriptures. They heard of a, of a child that was gonna be born. They heard these stories. And 600 years later, theologians believe that they traveled 700 miles to get back to where they were, to where Jesus was going to be at. I believe that the wise men, the magi, really were the people that we see in Daniel chapter five. And I believe this story really shows us a lot and really, there's three things that they bring to him. And these parts are really, really important because really this shows us the gospel. And so there's three gifts that they bring him. I'm, I'm gonna run through these really, really fast. Number one, the first gift they brought them was gold for royalty. Gold for royalty. Again, 
Babylon was known as the kingdom of gold. They brought them gold for royalty. For years and years and years, gold was the currency. It was what it was all about. Solomon's temple was laden with gold. The Bible talks about heaven having gold everywhere around us. Gold is a symbol of kingship. And it also might have been a saving grace for Mary and Joseph when they had to leave and go into Egypt. It may have gave them some money to get on their travel so they could go away from that area. What if, what if, just not saying this is not, the Bible is not saying this, this is just a what if. What if the gold that the wise men brought to Jesus was the same gold that they tore off the temple that was made for him? What if the gold that they destroyed in the Babylonian, what if they brought that to Jesus and gave it back to the rightful king to which it was owed? What a, what a, what a cool thing that, that could be. Gold was a symbol of kingship. Gold was a symbol that this one right here, this baby was the king of the world. Number two, frankincense for divinity. That's a weird word. Frankenstein, you go with it what you want to, but frankincense for, for divinity. In the Old Testament, the most holy day of the year was the Day of Atonement. And this was when the high priest would come into the Holy of Holies and he would burn incense like frankincense to hide from the presence of God. Here, here's what this looked like. In the Old Testament, there would be a high priest because you and I, we were not allowed to go into the temple. You and I, we could not go and see God but because to see God would be to die. You guys remember in the story of Isaiah? He says, I see the Lord high and lifted up and he falls on his face because he can't see the Lord. This is, this is the moment here. And so there's a high priest that they appoint and he has to live his life to a certain standard. And he has to go into the Holy of Holies. But before he goes into the Holy of Holies where God's presence sits at, before he does that, he starts doing all these sacrifices and he gets the frankincense out and he lights these, these, these things and he gets the smoke rolling because he didn't want to even get a glimpse of the presence of God because that would kill him. And the Bible tells us that they would wrap him with a rope around him because if he went in there and he was sinful, God could kill him and they'd just have to pull his body out. This, this was a, a serious matter that you and I could not get into the presence of God. We had to have a mediator. We had to have our priests take us in to the presence of God. And so they brought the baby, frankincense. This was a sign of divinity, that he was a king, but he was also a priest. By the way, in the Old Testament, they always separated kings and priests from each other. They were never supposed to come together. But in this moment, the symbol of gold and the symbol of priesthood, kingship and priesthood came together to remind us that God, that Jesus himself is our perfect king and our perfect priest. That Hebrews chapter four tells us that he is our great high priest, that Jesus didn't come just to die, but Jesus came to live the life that you and I could never live. That Jesus came and lived every monotonous day, day after day after day. He understands what a headache feels like. He understands what a crick in the neck feels like. He understands pain. He understands joy. He understands all of those things. And he didn't have to, but he wanted to know what you and I felt like every single day. Because right now, currently, the Bible tells us that he's in heaven, sitting next to the Father, reminding God himself, hey, what they're going through right now, that's, that's pretty tough. What, what, they're, what they're going through, I remember that. And that's not easy for them. Like that's, that's him, that's the mediator. He's our high priest that goes into the presence of God for us, that goes into the holy of holies for us so that we can know him more. You don't need a priest in life, right? You don't need someone to dictate how you and God can have a relationship. God came near to you. This is the story of Christmas, that as he was born as a baby, he came near to you so you could be near to him. 
This is the story of Jesus and our high priest and our great king. And some of us in this room, we just sit here and we believe that God wants nothing to do with us. And I just need to remind you today that God's not angry at you anymore. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Live without fear. Live believing that Jesus died for, for you. Let's keep going. Everyone still with me? I'm losing my voice, so I gotta get going. Number three, the last thing they gave him was myrrh. This is really to show his, his humanity. This is a birthday present like you don't want, all right? This is, this is an embalming fluid. Uh, so if, if, I, if I come to your, your birthday party and I, and I bring you a casket, that doesn't look right, right? You, you, that's not gonna be something you, you want. But this is basically what they're doing, right? So they bring him gold to remind us that he's a king. They bring him frankincense to remind us that he's, he's a great high priest. And then they, they bring him myrrh. And, and why, would you bring like a, why would you bring this to him? Why, why would you, what, what, what's the point of that? It's a reminder that Jesus was born to die. Again, so that we might live. Think about this. This is a weird gift. But it's a reminder that even from birth, he had a mission. Myrrh shows up multiple different times in the, in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels. We see it in John chapter 19, where they're, they're taking care of Jesus' body, and they're putting the embalming fluid on him. I think they, they even give it to Jesus when he's, when he's sitting on, when he's, when he's on the cross. This is these bitter, bitter oils that they give him, and it's, and it's a disgusting thing, but it's a reminder that he was a human. It's a reminder that Jesus himself came near, that he was born of a virgin, that he was a baby, that he had to learn how to walk, that he had to learn how to speak, that he had to learn how to make decisions, that he had, to he had an awkward phase in life. Like he, he understands it all, that he was born human, that he could die, that he could understand you and I in all of this. But again, this, these gifts are just really more than anything, it's a picture of the gospel. That we worship a king who is our priest and mediates our relationship with Jesus by his death on the cross. The gifts are a picture of the gospel. They're a picture of what he did for you and for me. And so in that vein, what I'd like you to do is take this element that's next to you. We don't do the Lord's Supper a lot on Sunday mornings. And we need to do it more. The humanity of Christ is my favorite parts of the story. That he's a great king, high and lifted up, that's seated on the praises of his people, that understands the hurt and pain that you're going through, that there's never been one tear that you've ever cried that he doesn't remember, that he's writing his memories of you in his book. But as a human, he understands the pain and the longing and the hurt. The story of Jesus on the cross and Mary sitting down there, his mother, though his human mother sitting down there, and he looks at his mom and he says, Mom, look at, look at your son. And then he says, Hey, John, take care of my mom. These human emotions that Jesus had. The moment that he sits down on a rock and cries when Lazarus dies, even though he knows he's about to raise him, these moments that he understands. And then I think about that upper room 
where he sits in that, with that table with all of his, all of his 12 disciples, his friends, and, and, and he's, he has only a few moments left in the worst part of his life. And he breaks the bread. The Bible tells us that on the night that he was betrayed by one of his friends, he broke the bread and he passed it around. And he said, this is my body. The body that he had, the, the human body that had, the nails that went through his hands for you and I, the crown of thorns on his head, the blood that trickled down his face. And I'm not trying to be graphic. I'm just trying to remind you of this story and why we take the Lord's Supper this way because it's a reminder of what he went through. And it's not, it's not pretty, it's not beautiful, but it's his love for us. He's sitting on a cross with nails in his hands, nails through his feet, and he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. How can we not forgive those around us? He's sitting on a cross, taking on the sins of humanity onto his back. The Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That you and I sitting in these chairs, if we know Jesus, he doesn't look at you through your sin. He looks at you through the blood of Jesus and sees you as his righteous one, a son of God, a co-heir with Christ. With nails to his feet, with pain and blood filling his lungs. The Bible tells us he did that with joy. With the joy set before him, he went to the cross for you and for me. How can we deny God's love for us? Quit living in this world and believing that your life is just what it is. God has a plan and a purpose for you. He died on a cross for you because he knows that even though you've fallen down on the ground, you can get back up and you can keep walking because if he can raise Lazarus from the dead and if he can raise himself from the dead, he can bring you back to life. I'm getting excited, I'm sorry. Just take and eat. Take and eat. This represents his body, and this also represents the fact that we're new creations. The old is past, the new has come. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray. When I say amen, let's take this element here together. God, right now we just remember. We remember what you went through. We remember your sacrifice on the cross the beating you took, all for us. I'm not talking about the row that I'm sitting in. I'm not talking about my husband, my wife, my kid. For me, thank you. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us when we turn away from you. Guide us back to the cross. That's the only thing that matters. My identity is not found in who I am, what I've done, but my identity is found in you on a cross and you raised from the dead. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Let's take this element together. If you would, you can peel back that next layer. It goes on to say, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 11, that he takes the wine, the cup, he says, this is the blood of my, of my new covenant. Take and drink. And he says this really interesting line. He says, I'm not gonna drink this again until 
we drink this together. I want you to think about for one moment, there's a God who created the universes, the galaxies, the stars, the suns, supernovas, created the sky, he created all these things, and the Bible says he's waiting for you and for me. What is that? He's waiting for you and for me. This is the blood of the new covenant. You don't need a high priest. You don't need a priest to, to get you to Jesus. No, you can go to him today. There's a new covenant. You don't have to pass all the rules. You don't have to, you know, the Bible tells us that the only work that the Father has for you is to believe in the one that he sent. You don't have to keep working for it. He loves you today. It's the new covenant. Father God, we love you. We remember the blood, remember the bloodshed. Thank you for a new covenant, a new life, a new destiny. Thank you that, Lord, we can live by this. Not our own egos, not our own things, but God, we can live by the blood of Jesus. Lord, we abide in you. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Let's take this element together. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.